This is an ABC podcast. Warning, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders that this episode discusses those who have passed. I just don't think that I could really gauge what exactly I was going to do and how much impact it was going to have on me, I guess. It's November 2022 and Kamara Kelly is on a mission. She's a Warramai woman, the CEO of a Wobbycool local Aboriginal land council, and she's headed to a small town in Germany to bring home an ancestor. I was kind, I was kind of at the, that, that point at the end of the year where, you know, I'm tired and I'm, I'm sort of burnt out and I was so excited about the trip, but the closer it got, it was more daunting. It's a 40-hour flight. Um, I didn't realise the significance that it was going to have on me. I don't think I realised the depths of that responsibility until I was there, until I was holding them. Hey, I'm Larise Dixon. Today on the Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up, we're going on a journey across thousands of kilometres over hundreds of years to bring home ancestral remains taken from a Wobbicool and Warramai country. It was absolutely mind-blowing. We've done some repats here on Warramai country, uh, north of Newcastle, Um, but to be able to go abroad, to be able to bring some uh, remains back was just something that's not even thought of, let alone to be given that opportunity or privilege to um, carry out that journey. Jamie Tarrant is a Warramai traditional owner who works with New South Wales National Parks and Wildlife Service, who is also on the flight. There's been a long process of behind-the-scenes negotiating and discussing to get to this moment where Kamara and Jamie are on a 40-hour flight to Germany. Last year, the state ethnographic collection in Germany offered the return of six ancestors to First Nations communities. We've had repatriations done from the Australian museums. This is the first one that we've actually gone overseas and we've returned them ourselves. Um, So it's a really big deal, but it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that there is so much more work to be done. There's so little known about these remains, like how and why they ended up in a cold, dark collection in Germany. I feel privileged to be able to carry out this journey on behalf of, you know, the community. So in my mind, before I even um, got to connect with the ancestor, was just sitting there thinking about, you know, today we get in an aeroplane and off we go. We're talking about, you know, potentially back in boats, back in that, that time when they removed from country. So, you know, sitting there reflecting on the journey that our ancestor had taken prior to us taking our journey to Germany. You know, I think it was the right reasons, the wrong reasons. You know, the right reasons was to bring him back to country, but the wrong reasons was we shouldn't have to go overseas and bring our ancestors back. Um, Mm. They should be left to rest on country. Historically, ancestral remains and sacred objects were traded, studied and ultimately dehumanised. Jamie was there to bring home a Warramai ancestor, while Kamara was bringing home an ancestor to the Awabical community. There's not much that's recorded. All we know is the date that he was removed from country. Um, which was 1800s, and that's about all we really know is that he was a Wurramai young fella, but, yeah, there's not much more that we know about the, the, the ancestor. So all we know is that they were traded uh, to Germany in 1902. From the anthropological studies, we can assume that it was a middle-aged to elderly man. He had passed and had been buried. So we can assume that he had been buried for quite some time and had been removed from the ground and then sold. Each community representative received a box holding the ancestor draped in the Aboriginal flag. To be there for both Kamara and Jamie was indescribable. 
I had gone over there thinking that I was there to do a job, um, that I was not going to be as emotionally affected as others. And then as they, you know, we spent time with the remains leading up to the handover. Um, and a lot of that was really overwhelming. Uh, we actually had went back the next day with a smaller group to just kind of sit and feel. And again, it was spiritual and I felt, um, you know, I felt something, but it wasn't necessarily sadness or anything like that. But the day that we actually handed them back, they walked through the, the smoke and handed to me. I have never felt anything as emotionally heavy. It was just this, it was incredible. It was the most amazing experience Mm. to be, have so much emotion put into you at one time. It was just like, you're, you're happy that it's happening and you're remorseful that we have to do this and you're proud that you're doing Mm. it, but then you're so sad and you start to think about the fact that for 130 years, these remains have been off country It's snowing over there and, you know, we're a warm country that think that for 130 years they've been cold and where they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be warm in the, in the dirt here in Australia. So you've got all these emotions and you're humbled and you're proud and you, it's, it's almost like overwhelming to even think about now everything that goes through you at once. These boxes returned in Germany are just the tip of the iceberg it's a long and careful process to identify remains. Even then, there's limited legislation compelling public museums or private collections to return what has been taken. The number, it's just that one collection uh, institution museum. They're talking about 1,600 just at that one spot. Mm. So, you know, we're talking about east of Germany, one little museum um, in the middle of nowhere with 1,600 remains from Australia. Um, you know, we haven't even touched, even looked at Germany, there's France, there's who knows where else. For us in a modern society, holding human remains in a private collection probably feels very morbid. Uh, but these are practices that European countries have had for centuries. This is what they've done. Um, a lot of, of these countries feel like the removal and theft of remains is actually part of their history. Mm. And they don't want to give them back because they're giving away their art history. We can make an assumption that uh, places like Newcastle in particular, being so early in the colonisation, being so heavily colonised, that a lot of them were taken from here. But there's probably, we're probably whatever we estimate is going to be under. We had the ceremony in Sydney when we landed. We went out to the Australian Museum where the the remains would be held and there was ceremony and I was exhausted. Mm. Um, We had been flying for so long. Uh, We had really long layovers and we landed at about seven in the morning. So we're all really tired and my parents and my sister came down and that was really special for me. I, I felt like I was emotionally exhausted. So I was just at a point where I was like, I've had all my tears but then my sister came and she was like crying and I'm like oh yeah like you're now it's hitting you and you were watching her experience all of that that yes and my (laughs) mom and my dad and it was really special to be able to share that when the the box was uh, handed to us and handed back in Germany um, you could just feel this pain the suffering 
when we got back to Australia, you know, when we'd done ceremony back in Sydney, it was probably the first time that these remains have seen natural sunlight. You know what I mean? Uh, they've been in the dark bowels of a museum forever and a day, and you know, to be back with custodians of country doing ceremony back in Sydney to put some warmth into these bones was again uh, a moment that I'll never, never forget in my life. Upon returning home, Jamie began the process of finding a place for the Warramai ancestor to be at rest. So we went through a process with the elders. Uh, we wanted to take them onto Broughton Island. That's a place that's um, special to Warramai people as a whole. Um, so we wanted a special place. We didn't know where he come from, um, but we wanted a place where we knew that it was special to be able to lay him to rest. But uh, on the way to Christmas, uh, this was what we're over in uh, Germany in November. By December, myself and Dave, um, who went over and collected the remains, were looking at each other going, I don't think we're going to get any rest over Christmas. There were some really uh, funny things going on, and I think that's that spirituality um, that comes with ancestral um, remains. So me and Dave were looking at each other going, brother, we need to do something, we need to lay him to rest. So we come to the second place was Dark Point. That's another known area in Warramai country so we laid our ancestor to rest there. How did it feel once that process was done for that particular um, ancestor? It was amazing that day. It blew my mind. We had probably 60 to 80 community members on site, um, all back on country to do this repatriation. It was something special. The way to describe it was literally walking from a dark room into a bright room. Um, yeah, it's, it, um, it's hard to explain, but it's just like everything lifted away and you know, we've, we even not had uh, dingoes on site when we are doing this repatriation. Um, they knew that, you know, spiritually that there was something going on in that landscape. Um, so them guys even, you know, come and stuck their head over the sand dune to see what was going on. And to be able to, you know, connect spiritually, um, not just with country and ancestors, but, you know, with plants and animals, it's that full circle of connection to lands. It's a long journey ahead to be able to look at the, into the future, but, you know, I think that putting the, our ancestor to rest back onto country, you know, I talk to the elders and go, I'm glad we put this ancestor to rest because he's going to start singing and he's going to start singing the old people from overseas. And, you know, I think now we've made that stand and got something internationally back on country. That spiritual connection will happen and he'll start singing and he'll start calling them home. For the Wobbicall ancestor, there are still discussions to be had about where the best resting place will be. We can we can assume that these particular remains were taken from the CBD. Um, so the ideal way for us to return them would be to return them to as close as possible where they were taken. The problem is, is that we don't know exactly and the likelihood of that already being a building or development is through the roof because there's not a lot of spare space left in the CBD. There is obviously spaces like King Edward Park. We actually own a plot of land right next to King Edward Park. Um, but then there's a lot of logistics and legalities around that once these ancestors are returned um, back into the earth, we we don't want them to be disturbed again. That's the most important part for me is that once they're back, they're back and they are never disturbed again. There are still so many ancestors who are not yet home, both internationally and in Australia. But Kamara's proud, though, to be part of the legacy of starting the work of returning these ancestors to country. My grandfather was the first Aboriginal person to work for national parks. So he was a part of, you know, the original site surveys of New South Wales. So he worked a lot in repatriations. So it was a really big thing for my family in particular, I think, is that this is the third generation of people participating in repatriation 
and repatriating our ancestors back to country. So that added a level of emotions, I guess, is that I felt so proud to be part of a legacy as well. Whilst I'm frustrated, I guess, that it's taking so long, there's also just a level of acceptance that this is how long things take. You are so overwhelmed and overcome with pride and relief that they're that they're home that you don't go, oh, I wish this happened 20 years ago. While I was in Germany and my sister had sent me sort of like an excerpt of a book that my mm. dad had written and he talks about a repatriation um, and in it he says, I am so small yet so purposeful. And that was the exact feeling I had is that in a room here, we are actually the smallest little pieces of this giant puzzle and we're not going to be the last pieces. There are going to be generations of pieces. But each piece is so important. The Newcastle Hunter Catch-Up is produced on a Wobbicool country. It's presented and produced by me, Laurice Dixon. It's produced by Toby Hemmings. Our digital producer this week is Cecilia Connell and social producer is Michael Black. Executive producers are Blythe Moore and Lucia Hill. If you like the pod, give us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back next week with more local stories from around Newcastle and the Hunter Valley. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.